morning, everyone, and welcome back to another Charles Sturt story. This morning, I'm joined by Peter Vitez. Am I pronouncing that right, Peter? Uh, I hope so. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Peter, for those of you who don't know, Peter is a digital media technologist with the Division of Learning and Teaching. And we're going to have a chat this morning to Peter about the work that he's been doing and also hopefully learn a little bit more about his mysterious past because it's mysterious. I have no idea what he did beforehand. So welcome along, Peter. Thanks for coming. No problem. Can you um, fill us in on uh, what you're doing currently uh, within the uni, where you're located, etc. normally in normal non-COVID type times and um, paint a bit of a picture for, for where you were before CSU? Uh, at the moment, I'm in the printery. Uh, well, when I'm on campus um, for the last few months with this whole COVID thing, I've been at home at, um, in the Blue Mountains. Uh, occasionally, I'll go into on campus on Bathurst there. I should say Bathurst printery. That might have been more useful. But, yeah, it, it's nice to come back to the campus to do the occasional video, which, of course, you can't do remotely. It's about the only thing you can't do remotely. Uh, so, and as for my past, well... Um, I started in digital technology type stuff in 2000 at Macquarie University. So it was pretty much 20 years there doing um, e-learning stuff. Before that, it was um, web design for about another five years before that, after leaving university. So in Sydney at Macquarie University since 2000, and um, I was pretty much a system administrator and multimedia guy, video, web admin, kind of the one guy that the whole place would go to to get stuff done. So it was a very, very different thing every day. Not too dissimilar to what I do at Charles Sturt, but at Charles Sturt I've um, deleted a few functions from my repertoire, so no more looking after servers or installing software or nerve-wracking things like that when, yeah, it's not fun when servers go down and you get a whole bunch of people coming to your desk saying, it's a white screen, what happened? 20,000 people are trying to log in. Um, so it's great to not have that role anymore. So now I'm just focusing on the creative stuff, which is awesome. And Excellent. Cool. Excellent. And um, obviously our listeners can't, uh, can't see where you are at the moment. So we can hear the cicadas going. I'm hoping <laughs> that you can also describe where you're currently situated um, you know, dealing with, with COVID in your work? Uh, I am currently in a, what must be about a six by four metre cabin in the front garden of my house. It used to be my partner's hair salon. Uh, she retired um, this year. So I've taken it over as a man cave and managed to get everything working. I kept the water running and the coffee machine. So um, it's got all the mod cons, air conditioning and all the rest, which is great. But um, can't get away from the cicadas. Kind of bad timing. I think they're only noisy for about a week. So that's <laughs> good um, timing. Good timing. Very, very loud up there. But yeah, it's where I keep all my toys. So there's um, pottery that I do on the side, and um, some audio gear, and there'll be a bicycle moving in here anytime soon. As soon as we can sell off some more of this um, hair salon paraphernalia that's still sharing this space. Uh huh. And I can see, looks like maybe a, is it a CB radio or different audio gear going on behind you? Reels for my reel to reel player. Ah, but um, it does work. Don't use it. It's pretty decorative. I think a lot of things in here are just decorative. 
It's a great Zoom background, I have to say, because it just prompts questions. What's going on there? I turn it on. It's really great when the reel's just rolling around. It's orange glow coming from the front of it. It's, it's um, maybe too distracting for online meetings, so I just leave it off. Yeah, no, well, it's a good prop, that's for sure, even as it is. So, look, um, the, with the work that you do as a digital media technologist, can you give us a bit more information on what that involves uh, currently, for example? What's a normal week for you? Uh, typically, work comes in through the SRS system. I'm hoping everybody knows what that is. I don't know if you want to explain that further, Lachlan, but um, uh, requests come in, they get assigned to me, and those requests that I normally address are lately a lot of video production. Um, so because everyone's moving to online um, rather at a rate of knots, so they're getting in a lot of a hurry for people to get online. Um, so there's a lot of video of, of workshops and things like that that would normally be face-to-face. -face. Uh, so it's, it is, there's quite a bit of that. Um, so that's what's been drawing me back to campus. Typically though, my work is a little bit of video and mostly creating, creating interactives for um, e-learning. So quizzes and just different ways of showing people information and um, uh, especially there's a lot of confusing things online, of course. So trying to make things clearer by using interactive stuff is uh, what I do. Animation as well. Uh, all that's inside Blackboard and um, embedding elements like H5P video storyline. Anyone Art doesn't Articulate, story? yeah. Yeah, Articulate Storyline 360, I know it's kind of like a badge off a car, really. It's hard to figure out what's going on. But yeah, Articulate's the company, Storyline's the product. Um, and Storyline is a, uh, an e-learning tool where you can actually um, create all kinds of um, interactive elements, mainly for, it's mainly designed for testing. So there's a lot of multiple choice, drag and drop type stuff, like you also find in H5P, but in Storyline, it's a lot more advanced, so we can actually um, program it to some extent and do a lot of things out of the box. So it's pretty much whatever your imagination can think of. Like, um, as long as you can do it programmatically, you can actually do it in Storyline. A lot slower than H5P, but the results are um, a lot more elaborate and a lot more polished. So in terms of, of how uh, teaching staff, for example, would end up working with a digital media technologist, the sequence for that sort of happening, I'm aware that, that obviously we've got different uh, processes in place. For example, subjects might be going through revitalization or um, if a particular academic has put through a request to have some video, we call it videography, is that still a thing? <laughs> it, it will do, yeah. It does have a few names. I don't think anyone's actually settled on anything. Right, so uh, we mentioned the SRSQ before, so the service request system that DLT currently uses. I've got a feeling that's moving across to using Sherwell in the same system that DIT use in the near future. But anyway, two ways of, of logging requests for work to be done. Do you normally end up working with both the academic and educational designers at the same time? Or are you sort of printed a, a job sheet at the end that says, Peter, go and capture this? Uh, it's, it's a still a bit up in the air, I think, at this time. Uh, originally, when I started at Charles Sturt, I was with the Toll team. And the Toll team had a very well thought out process for how things happen. And it was, it was there, there would be a lot of discussions um, well beforehand between the higher ups. So there'd be um, 
the dean of school would talk to the the head of a subject the head of the subject would talk to a learning designer they would talk weeks in advance sort stuff out figure out what they want to do and then the learning designer would talk to me about creating assets for their course interactive elements videos whatever is required um, quizzes uh, and I would pretty much have no contact with the academic. Uh, so the um, learning designer would be the filter um, between the academic and myself. Uh, that worked quite well. Um, sometimes you still have to talk to the academic if something, it was um, just maybe too confusing for everyone involved. And so they had to be a bit of a powwow between everyone. That, that happened too, uh, which was always fine. But it was nice, to, it was kind of nice to have that filter because it meant that um, uh, the learning designer could catch strange stuff early on and because the learning designers typically would know what was possible or not because they actually had access to um, a library of previous work that had been done by digital technologists so they could easily say oh yeah we, that would easily fit as a drag and drop activity or something else like that so that works quite well but with um, now I'm back in DLT uh, it's, a, it's a bit more loose that was a very formal process I mean that was that was following four-week blocks to replace courses but um, DLT doesn't work that way because we're not replacing courses, we're helping out with um, requests as they come. Uh, so I've been, it's been a bit of a mix, about half and half. Sometimes I'm talking to learning designers uh, at the same time as academics. Sometimes I'm just talking directly to academics. Uh, and the work is assigned to me by my manager, so I don't, get direct work from the SRS. Um, my manager will actually assign work from there and discuss with me uh, the scope of that work, what needs to be done. And so uh, there is some control in that respect. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a bit more loosened and ad hoc with the SRS system. So, um, but I don't mind if it's either way, um, I don't mind talking to the academics, but it's, it's just nice when I'm aware that there are learning designers who are trained in that role that would be, I tend to, when I talk to an academic, tell them that it's probably best that they talk to a learning designer before um, piling work onto me. And I feel it's outside of my remit to actually tell them how to actually create their content because I'm just the digital technologist. And although I've been doing it for 20 years and I can usually straight away pick when there's a problem with, well, this crap doesn't make sense or anything like that. I'm, I'm just always aware that there is a role um, in the team, the learning designers, who should be looking after uh, that kind of stuff. So I try to push them to talking to a learning designer before talking to me. Okay. So look, in terms of more recent times, uh, which sort of schools and subject areas uh, have you been working with? Uh, the last big one I played with was for the, uh, the guys in chemistry and um, they, they, they had a problem in that um, it's hard to actually, because the chemistry labs weren't able to be used because of COVID, uh, but students, when it comes to chemistry, it's a very hands-on subject. It's, it's not something that you normally do online. You're in the lab um, a lot of the time. So experiments and the like, um, just didn't exist online. Um, chemistry was not using the online space for that kind of thing. And so there were some essential experiments that students would um, be required to do to pass the course and they couldn't do them. So they came to myself and Amita, a uh, learning designer, 
and we figured out ways to actually convert the experiments into virtual experiments. So the, the Paul chemistry guys had to, um, they were down in Wagga actually, um, they had to photograph every part of the experiment, um, literally 280 photographs, I think, just to get one part of the experiment to work. Wow. Um, as in photographs are tested before, during, after, what's happening, all that kind of thing. Um, a lot of this stuff seemed to have been done with a mobile phone, so some of it was blurry, it needed correcting, re-photographing. So there was definitely some hiccups involved in getting that to work. Uh, and trying to make the experiment work in a way that the, the answer wasn't given to the student, the student had to discover the answer. Um, not something we typically do in storylines. Storylines usually just for multiple choice quizzes, things like, you know, your you, you basic um, e-learning stuff. But this one had to be more like that, that old children's game, Guess Who? You had to, um, you had a whole lot of part A and part B and you had to mix all the part A's with all the part B's and something would happen or something wouldn't happen and you decide if something happened, then it might be this. But if it might be this, you have to stick in a different part B. And if nothing happens, well, it could still be this, but it might not be. So try a third thing. Oh, it's changed to green. Uh, okay, that means it must be this or this. And the only way to figure out if it's A or B is then to do another experiment with it. And oh, it's blowing bubbles. So that means it must be this chemical. And so that's why there were so many photographs and so many screens involved, hundreds of screens. So um, it, it could be done and we got it there. We got there in the end. It sounds like a real kind of discovery along the way of, of not only for the students at the end doing the activity, but you guys in making it as well, collecting all of those different uh, artifacts and objects. And Well, yeah. And it was also another problem was that the chemistry guys speak chemistry, not English. And so just deciphering what needed to be done was really difficult. So we had a lot of meetings. Um, in the end, I actually had to do some just draft work to say, is this kind of what we're trying to do here? It's like, oh yeah, did it, I did that. Because um, they, they, they just, it's advanced chemistry. And so myself and, and the learning designers was like, well, this is not something we know about. And, and it's, it wasn't like you would just say, this is the chemical. The chemical have a name like lithium. Um, and we'd say lithium, but they would, instead of writing lithium, they'd show a little hexagonal symbol type thing on the email. And it's just like, well, what is that? Well, that's lithium. And, like, ah. and there was like, yeah, three different, three or four different ways you could describe it. And for the chemistry guys, they could easily swap between them. They didn't even think about it. And, but for myself and me, they were, we were constantly like, okay, give me a table with the last table had words, this table's got pictures, and, this, and so it was that kind of thing. I was just trying to get to speak the same language so that we could actually get this thing done. But it wasn't like we were really permitted to say, scrap all these symbols, let's just use text, because the students had to be able to do the same thing as these lecturers. They, they, they had to be able to swap between symbols and text and different ways of describing things which are the same thing. And so they had this, this kind of that kind of thing going and so we couldn't just like just blanket say stop using all this stuff just use words please and so that was another thing it was pretty much yeah doing the whole thing in in um latin so um that was that was interesting need a universal translator to go from the the discipline specific information back to you guys and oh, yeah. so on and so forth 
Look, that sounds absolutely fascinating, if not frustrating at times, but the end result that you've described also sounds pretty awesome. So I'm going to have to find out where I can get a look at that. Oh, for sure. Talk to a meter. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, look, thanks very much for uh, meeting with me this morning, Peter, and sharing some of your experiences from 2020 and, and before. I see that uh, obviously now that we've reached the end uh, of our chat, the cicadas have toned down. So that's hilarious. <laughs> so you'll have to thank them for me as well. No worries. I'll go out there and water them as soon as I can. <laughs> All right then. Well, you enjoy the rest of your day and thank you again for another Charles Sturt story. No worries. Thanks, Lachlan.